Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 7th. On today's show, we continue our Peaks and Valleys week here at Crack Rackets, where we look at some of the highs and lows of the 2022 ATP and WTA seasons. Of course, on Monday and Tuesday, we focused on the highs and lows on the women's side. And today and tomorrow, we now make the transition towards the men's tour. Of course, there were so many storylines throughout the course of the 2022 season, perhaps lingering above them all, is the generational shift we saw occur in the men's game. And within that generational shift came plenty of opportunities. Certainly, we saw so many new faces elevate themselves to higher places throughout the course of the year. That said, there were also certainly players who we may have had higher expectations for during the season than the results we saw them actually earn throughout the course of the year. Certainly, there will be some players disappointed. There are certainly fans disappointed throughout the tennis world as well. What we want to do on today's show is talk about some of those disappointments. Now, of course, we're a glass half full show. And in the midst of discussing those disappointments, we'll talk about where the low-hanging fruit for some of these players to turn turn things around, excuse me, may exist. But Again, the theme of today's show, looking at some of the disappointing results we saw throughout the course of the 2022 ATP season. And as always, if you're trying to tackle a task so monumental, you better have some help for you. And thankfully, I do here on today's show. Joining me on the podcast and continuing the theme of rock star guests on the mini break of late is a returning champion here on our show. You knew if we're talking peaks and valleys, many of them on this podcast involved this guest throughout the course of the 2022 season. Of course, one of the peaks, the fact that he is now a Cracked Rackets contributor extraordinaire. Of course, you also know his voice from the Monday Match Analysis Show 3 a tennis show and of course many tennis channel broadcasts throughout the course of the season. Now one of the valleys is that I had to spend a lot more time with him in person throughout the course of the 2022 season. Of course I'm referring to my eyebrow nemesis and dear friend Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show. You ready to talk peaks and valleys? Hey Grusky, I have my uh, my disappointed father tone ready to go for this one. Uh, I find it interesting that that you you know you called my number for uh a topic so so um dreary yeah very you know you gotta be ready and willing to uh crack some skulls a little bit you know 
No, you, you have to be willing to absolutely put uh, have some confidence in your convictions when you do this podcast because certainly who are we to say any of these pros are disappointing their tennis better than any of the tennis we can produce. I've seen yours. You've seen mine. We both now know how true that is. That said... I do think this is an assessment you have to make in the offseason, right? Particularly given the pecking order changes I feel like we saw throughout the 2022 season. Again, when I say disappointments, the context I think of is that there were so many openings. I mean, Holger Runa was a top 10 player at one point of this season. If you tell that to Cam Norrie, hey, Holger Runa finished in the rankings above you, certainly he would have some scale of disappointment. I'm curious, as you look at this exercise, how do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, it's so necessary. And tennis players have it so good uh, because in reality, you know, you and I follow other sports. There is a lot more critical coverage in other sports compared to tennis in terms of performance and evaluating performance. Uh, And I think that's because of a couple of things that we see in tennis. First of all, there are, you know, the tournament by tournament kind of structure of the sport makes it so that a lot of the media is in-house media and they are not going to be critical at all. Uh, There's also a portion of the media that doesn't really concern themselves, or or some, I should say, portions of the media that doesn't so much concern themselves with the real kind of on-court stories, and it's more kind of off-court following results, who's triumphing. Uh, Yeah, I, I think that in reality, though, tennis is war. There's winners and there's losers, and... I think the 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 more it can be covered like a regular sport where you know players performances are honestly evaluated I think that's better. I think that's good and I think it's genuine and I think that's how most fans are are looking at it and if you know it's only right that in covering the sport you are aligning with that kind of fan perspective. Yeah, I would have two follow-ups to that. The first on the media perspective, a lot of tennis journalism is access-based. For instance, how can we have a guest on the Cracked Interviews podcast if, you know, why would they want to come on if we are constantly trashing them over on the mini break? Now, thankfully, I don't think many of the top 100 players are listening to the mini break day in, day out. So maybe they'll miss a specific take about those players. But that is often why... Perhaps there's a restraint as it comes to criticism in regards to certain players because you want to talk to that player in the future. B, and this will have subsections one and two of point number B. That's how you know we're hot here on a Wednesday on the Mini Break podcast. I categorize two types of disappointments, and I'm curious if you think these are fair. Type A, and this is subsection one, is the player who just failed to meet expectations. Obviously, you look at someone like and spoiler alert, although I don't have too much to add on his season, like Aslan Karatsev was an unequivocal disappointment in 2022. We'll mention him a little bit later in the show. Not a ton of analysis to do on that, but the guy was seated at the slams to start the year. He was barely a top 100 player to end it. I think that has to be one category of disappointment, and that's probably the most obvious example. The second category to me is a player who opens up a moment of opportunity, that he had a moment award recipients, where it's like you had a moment to maybe capitalize on a window in, in which we know those windows are so few and far between on the ATP tour, uh, even though there are events every week. And to your point, 
some of the reason we can move on from disappointing losses is don't worry, you'll get to play again next week. You lost first round Toronto. You made the quarterfinals of Cincinnati. All is good. Um, You know, I think there are some players this year who maybe had a a window open and they weren't able to capitalize on those windows. And I think that's a second tier of disappointment that's just as important to discuss. Is that fair? 100%. I mean, there there are players who who 95% of the players in the top 100 would want to have that season, would trade places with them. And we still might say they were disappointments because we're making an evaluation on what their potential is and what we think they're able to do, what's inside of them. And, you know, the the bar is not the same for each player. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, yeah, there are those those uh, those two categories. Yeah, and this gets me into the first player I want to present to you. And, of course, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment in the tennis world. Make sure you use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. But with that in mind, I think when you look at the 2022 ATP disappointments, There are more glaring examples, perhaps, than the first name I want to throw at you. But I think if we're being honest in assessing the biggest disappointments of the 2022 ATP season, number one has to belong to Daniil Medvedev and more broadly, the next-gen ATP crew. And when I say the next-gen ATP crew, I don't mean the guys who competed at the next-gen event this year. I mean the OGs, the 96, 97, 98s, the, you know, Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Berrettini, the OG crew who broke through before all the rest of the depth of young talent we see now. And I think Medvedev is probably the most pronounced example of that because certainly Zverev injured in the French Open Tsitsipas, we can get. We've talked. We talk about every time he's here. It's actually in Gil's contract with Cracked Rackets that he has to agree to spend at least three minutes talking Tsitsipas on every show. But their window was open. Like starting with Dominic Team winning the 2020 U.S. Open. Honestly, through this season, you felt like the window cracked a little bit, and certainly Medvedev did win a Grand Slam at the 2021 U.S. Open. He reaches the 2021 Australian Open final as well. And for what it's worth, since 2015, only seven players have reached two slams in a single year. The big four, team in 2020, Medvedev in 21, and now Rublev here in 22. The point is, there have been some opportunities that have opened up over the past eight slams we've seen competed. And I'll throw team in this group, I guess, as well, Like, the next gen won two of them. And it's just like, they're now all 25 to 27 years old. And the big thing to me is how in the more broad tennis lexicon, so many people seem ready to just move past that group. And we're not talking about, you know, Zverev could probably, you know, might get five, six majors, Medvedev, Tsitsipas in that same range. No one hypothesizes about that anymore. Now it's, man, how many is Alcaraz going to get? Oh man, Sinner's really good. Holgaruna, how about that Paris run? And don't forget what Felix just did to end the year. I think maybe that group, why they qualify for my biggest disappointment of 2022 is again, Djokovic played two slam main draws. You know, Rafa had one foot 
and the group manages to win one slam this year. So I guess three. I forgot about including Alcaraz in the last eight. So three of the last eight have gone to next-geners. But – or two of the last eight because Alcaraz is next-gen 2.0. Leave that all in, Westoff. The point is why they're my biggest disappointment, Gil, is they're not the story. And like in their career arc, they should be the dominant players right now. All right, a lot there. Um, on <laughs> Medvedev. Welcome back. <laughs> Three-minute monologue to get you started. So first of all, Medvedev was among the top players, my biggest miss of the season in terms of my predictions. And that's the, that's the reason I do it, because I like to see – I, you know, it's a good barometer of because uh, I don't get too crazy of like how players do compared to their expectations. Perception and I, versus reality, exactly. Sure, I I had Medvedev finishing year end number one in 2022. That was my prediction before the year. My logic was that Djokovic and Medvedev are the two best players, and that Medvedev is going to play a heavier schedule and keep up more intensity outside of the majors. And Medvedev finished number seven in the world, which I'm not sure people have wrapped their heads around yet because. <laughs> You know, we haven't really been, we haven't really seen a seven next to his name. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I looked in the live rankings. The two things that were crazy is Max Cressy right now has more points than Tommy Paul, which just like, boom. I'm just like, that's not right. Um, Very weird. But yeah, Medvedev at seven, you're like, no, like, you're not below <laughs> Felix. Like, come on, that's wrong. Exactly. So that was my, my biggest miss. I would say the thing is with Medvedev, um, there is like a laundry list of excuses to go through. I think we've I think we've talked about this, but I mean, you have a scarring defeat in the Australian Open final. You know, I, I guess that's his own fault, but at the same time, it, it happens to a young player and it's kind of understandable that it's going to take some time to get over that. But then you have uh, what I consider to be a pretty significant injury in the hernia, which required surgery. And then you have... Uh, his country invading Ukraine, which uh, comes with its own set of kind of off-court distraction, and you don't know how that's going to affect uh, any uh, any Russian player. You know, even though it you would think would be uh, much more uh, significant for the Ukrainian players in a big way. Um, and then the the last thing is that actually. Am I forgetting the last thing? There's many okay. a thing, so go you, wherever you, you need have to him, go. You have him becoming number one, right? and, and you have him having to deal with that at a time that he wasn't playing well. Uh, but then you also have something that is not an excuse. It's just a fact of tennis, which is that tactically, you know, players have started to, to play him in the best way possible. The scouting reports are now on point, and you have players – changing and adjusting the way they play for Daniil Medvedev, which is actually a, a show of respect. Most tennis players just want to play their game. Yeah. You know, you can talk about game plans and analytics, but most players want to do what they do because you have a certain hubris and arrogance that suggests I'm better. So yeah. I'm going to do what I do and beat you. And Medvedev has actually accomplished enough in this sport where you have players like Stefano Tsitsipas coming into matches and being like, oh, I'm a serve volleyer now. <laughs> or Djokovic. Like, or Djokovic. No, you're absolutely right. So let's do the Medvedev before we get to the more broad next-gen conversation. Yeah. You look for Daniel Medvedev this year, 45-19 and 19 overall on the season. How does that compare to his prior years? Well, it's really been 
since August 2019. Started with that City Open final run all the way through the U.S. Open final against Rafa. Since 2019, he's been one of those guys. And you look for him 2019. 56 and 20 overall, 73.7% win percentage. The next year, same win percentage, 28 and 10. 2021, 63 and 13. He won 83% of his matches. This year was a year of regression. He won 70.3%, 45 and 19 overall. Can I interrupt with the excuse that I forgot about? The injury? Uh, No, being banned from Wimbledon, the loss of motivation. So that's, that's the one that I. Wasn't uh, well. The other fascinating head. thing about his season is again those grass court losses, like to lose to Van Reithoven, four and one, to lose to Hubi, one and four in those two grass court finals. It's like yes, he would have been a top five contender certainly at Wimbledon, but like the conversation, if I remember correctly, was like, all right, Djokovic is the clear cut favorite. Then, honest to God, Berrettini Chilich is the next tier. Like it was, I mean, Daniil Medvedev was already banned from the event, but like at best he would have been at that tier and probably towards the bottom half of it. The big thing was, of course, the summer hardcourt stretch from August onward. He had won over 75% and racked up multiple titles, 2019, 2020, 2021. He went 18 and nine this year. Still really good but not superhuman. And that's why he's seven and not four in the rankings. And again, why is it a disappointment? Because he loses first round to Kyrgios in Canada. And then coming into that US Open, where, uh, fourth round, where he's the number one seed, he was the underdog like going into that match. How is that not a disappointment for Daniil Medvedev, given the fact that 10 months earlier, he was up two sets to love, 2-1, love 40 on the precipice of a break as well in the Australian Open final. And like, again, I just, I guess I wonder with Alcaraz getting as good as he does, and this gets into the peaks and valleys conversation here with this disappointment, how much does it linger for you in regards to Medvedev? Does he get back into that unequivocal tier one conversation or has that space passed? Because the last thing, to your point, you said it so well, Not forget world number 62 and how he plays Daniil Medvedev. The very best players know the scout now of what they have to do to beat Daniil Medvedev. And it's a high wire act to pull off, but you're so right. They know it now. And mm-hmm. th- is that the difference? Is that why this year happened? Yeah, I mean, I'm in two minds of uh lanes of thought here the first is that i actually think it's a good thing that there are so many ways to explain medvedev's disappointing season right that's actually a good thing like i I feel much better as a medvedev fan uh than than i would be as i'm just gonna pick an extreme example a a garbine muguruza fan where it's like what happened here i don't know um whereas medvedev there are explanations he also had a much better year than muguruza uh besides the point um The other the other side of it is that there are a lot of areas where I think it's an uphill battle for Medvedev to try to improve. Is he going to be someone who's able to take the return of serve early with that technique, especially on the forehand? Maybe not. I mean, I'm, I'm not just going to assume that that's going to happen. Now, I do think he can probably figure that out, uh, but it's not a given. Will the volleys ever be good? I don't think so. 
there are matches where sometimes he gets hot on the volleys and he actually volleys quite well, but then there are matches where he's uh, absolutely awful. Um, and I think it's going to continue to be like that. Why? Because the technique isn't there. And that's the basis. Uh, I find on slower surfaces, the forehand is a problem uh, because he, you know, it's just not very heavy and he feels the need to try to finish points and he can't because he doesn't have that weapon. Do I think that's about to get better with, with that technique and that physical frame where, you know, I just don't think there's that much upper body strength there, that much racket speed. No, not really. So for all the things that I think makes Daniil Medvedev an incredible player, an amazing player, a great player, I don't see some sort of Medvedev 2.0 developing in the next couple of years. I really do think he is who he is. And the question is, is that guy going to win more majors? I actually think yes. No, I... So you said it perfectly, and you're just two trains of thought, and then we can move on. The regression in the break percentage. He had been over 27%, a top five returner the past three seasons. This year, 25.9%. Still a top 15 number, but that is a direct byproduct of the best competition realizing I am serving and volleying, I'm being aggressive, I'm taking advantage of your court position, and wherever the car, you know, the cards may fall, that's what we're doing. And... I do think, though, to part B, and I really love that you said it like this, he has the film. Like, okay, this is how players are playing you. Well, now you have the full month of December to pick your adjustment. And why I, like you, give Daniil Medvedev the benefit of the doubt is as good as Medvedev's serve is, and he's been a top 10 server, top 15 server the last four seasons as well, still was this year. As much as that can be his bread and butter— Daniil Medvedev's claim to fame isn't the plus one and making things easy. His claim to fame is the improvisational skills. And when things break down, finding that extra shot, finding that adjustment he needs to make, plan B, plan C, plan D, taking away the thing you want to do best. And I just am willing to bet on a 26-year-old who reached world number one this year, who has reached multiple slam finals— I think he finds that adjustment. Like, I agree with you because it's so clear. Now, the question is, is it foundational? Like, is it a Tiafo forehand situation? But even Francis has made improvements. Like, if you're asking Big me, improvements. do I think the Medvedev forehand return gets better? I, like, would bet the answer is yes. Yeah. It's so funny because Medvedev's like, as you pointed out, one of the great returners in the game. Yeah. And and now, but now he does. He has to adjust, which is just, it's crazy. Um, I will say someone left a great comment on one of my uh, my last mailbag, uh, which is was basically saying, remember how Medvedev used to be almost like a mad scientist. He used to do these crazy things in the middle of matches to figure out ways to win. And it doesn't really feel like he has that fearlessness anymore. I thought that was a really good point. Um, in terms of like, let's the say in going Cincinnati. big on the second serve era in when he started just doing that sporadically, sorry, not to cut you off, but that's like the one that jumps out to me. That's what, yeah, that's a huge example. He beat Djokovic like that in the U S open final against Nadal. That was one of those matches where he did yes. come to net because he had to, and he was at net like 40 times in that match. Uh, it doesn't feel like he's playing with that reckless abandon anymore. And I got to say, you know, that's another area where that might be hard to recapture because that is kind of like a young player, not a lot of pressure, kind of leaving it out all out there, uh, kind of a little bit naive. Um, 
that that can be hard to recapture. He, he needs to try. You're right. There were too many times when it was please miss, and that didn't happen. Now, more broadly, with the next gen crew, which was yeah. part two of my opening monologue. Um, you know, Casper, you can throw into this group. He's a little bit. I always think like him, Shapo are kind of in Demon Hour. That's like its own subsect of one year tier where you're not quite next gen, but you're not 2.0 either. Um, but more broadly, the next gen crew and the sentiment I expressed of the broader tennis populace seemingly moving on from those guys in terms of highest tier one upside. Now, being a bit hyperbolic. But I do think, like, if you're asking stock up, stock down on the next-gen crew, the OGs, the 96s through 98s coming out of this season, depth-wise, maybe stock up. But top tier, I like, how can you not say stock down? Yeah, I mean, so Medvedev, we've established stock down. Yeah. Tsitsipas, stock down. Uh, Zverev, uh, I, it doesn't matter that it was, you know, a catastrophic injury. It's still stock down. Removed from the market for off off-market in, like issues. Yeah, yeah we're exactly. not trading trading suspended. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and who else are we lumping in here? Rublev. Yeah, sure. Who? I mean, stock the same. No, him and Sakari had the same. Like your last month. Congrats. Like you're back. Um, but yeah, no better than stock the same. Yeah, like, I mean, you're not yeah, coming out sideways. this year higher. Berrettini, I think stock the same. Maybe even stock down. I mean, I know there were a lot of injuries, but at this point, my concern is that. That's going to be who he is forever. Yeah. Uh, a, guy, a guy who gets injured a lot. Uh, Herkoch, I actually preferred this. I actually think he improved on last season. See, now, I, I agree. He might actually be the one I'd buy stock <laughs> in. I made this argument with David Kane on the ATP Peaks pod, which listeners will hear tomorrow. We recorded before. That's how the sausage is made, folks. Um, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. Yeah, so I think he was a little bit better, uh, but at the same time, I don't see him as you know harboring the same expectation that yeah. Tsitsipas, Zverev, Medvedev do. I mean, that those are the big ones, and for Tsitsipas, I think it's a little bit more frustrating than than the Medvedev situation because I think there's less to explain what happened this year. There now there is the off season elbow surgery, and I feel like. I was, you know, giving Tsitsipas maybe a three, four month leash on that. The thing is, he arguably got worse in the second half of the season, um, especially after that promising start at the Australian Open when expectations were very low. He made the semifinals there. That was his best major. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on there. I don't know how much you want to want to get into that or not. But yeah, that that Please is actually unpack whatever you feel the need to unpack. You know, there are no rules here. <laughs> <laughs> with with Tsitsipas, the thing with this season is I thought there were some cracks mentally, you know, maturity, like those kinds of intangibles that uh, emerged as issues that previously were not issues. And then you had some of the issues that are traditional issues, backhand return of serve, backhand defense. You know, those things, I don't think they got worse. Maybe they got a little bit better, but they stayed weaknesses. And just the backhand side in general. You know, I'm one of I'm someone who actually thinks that Tsitsipas's backhand as a whole does not hang with most of the top players. Um, so these things stayed the same. We had a new issue because I I actually when you know Tsitsipas the last couple of years, I I had mostly positive things to say about his mental game. Uh, there were a lot of shady moments this year. 
You know, the Kyrgios match at Wimbledon, the Chorich final in Cincinnati, uh, the Galan loss at the U.S. Open. Mentally, these are bad, weird losses that that you don't like to see a player take. Uh, so, you know, new issues for him, really. Yeah, really. Here's the case in point. One stat to crystallize it. Your tennis abstract overall ELO ratings. Djokovic 1, Alcaraz 2, Felix 3. You actually have Tsitsipas 4, but Sinner 5, Runa 6. Then you get to Medvedev at 7. Zverev's down to 10. You know, these 2.0 guys have surpassed them and uh, by certain metrics. And it's just like, to me, you, you brought it, you broke it down individually, obviously with Zverev. How does he come back from an ankle injury? Never good to be over six foot five and have foot issues. And especially a guy whose success was so predicated on his physicality. I mean, even and, like, the, so, sorry, go ahead. I just think it's important to note with Zverev, there was a setback, you know, yeah. the, the initial broken ankle. Multiple. Yeah, the initial thing was one thing. He was ready to come back from that, had another injury. So, you know, that's unfortunately more alarming than, you know, you tear your ACL or something and you have a date to return and, you know, that date, you know, might have been eight months, right? It, we're not looking at that. We're looking at Zverev having multiple issues. Yeah, I think that honestly the, the case to hold on to is Berrettini being like, well, if he would have played Wimbledon, he probably makes the final and. Honestly, of all the guys, what feels like most like, like, do you feel better about Berrettini at Wimbledon than any of these guys at any of the other slams? <laughs> no, I'm a little bit of a, I'm a little bit, I think Berrettini's great on grass, awesome on grass. The record is mind blowing, but uh, I'm not as, I'm not quite as convinced as I think some others are that he is the second best player in the world on grass after Djokovic. Yeah, like, I'm this? sorry, but but it, Berrettini Nadal this year at Wimbledon before Nadal got injured, give me Rafa. And I, I feel very strongly about that. Give me Rafa. The only reason he's saying that is because he's still protecting his Alcaraz is going to be really good on grass, better than all the other surfaces <laughs> take. He offered here a year ago, listeners. Don't let him lie to you. All right, that's enough on the next-gen crew and Daniil Medvedev. Again, we're working off the same list here. The next name I want to turn to, and this gets into peaks and valleys, and I think this player sort of applies for both. There's no doubt that 2022 was the worst year we've seen for Diego Schwartzman in about half a decade. You look for Schwartzman, 31 and 26 overall, 54.4% of his matches. The last time he was that low, 2016 season when he went 17 and 17 overall, maybe the most concerning number, 9 and 13 for Schwartzman on hard courts this year. He lost his last seven hard court matches of the season. Why it applies to peaks and valleys to me, Gil, is I think this valley might be indicative of the fact that the peak performance of Diego Schwartzman is behind him in the days of him being an 8 through 14 player. I'm a bit concerned those are over and that not saying he's not going to be a top 50 guy moving forward because he is still such a nightmare and maybe just maybe he becomes that litmus test, a guy you have to beat to prove you are a top 50 or maybe even top 35 player. But I do think the benchmark for Schwartzman, he might have been that top 20 litmus test the past five years. I don't think he's that anymore. Yeah, I'm worried uh, because, <laughs> I mean... Wait, yeah, should I, we move on? 
No, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, it, it's worrisome. I mean, I, first of all, I think about Ferrer who, I guess it's a little bit different in age, but Ferrer had some peak years there. I see them as similar players in the sense that they, they, they're undersized guys who really can't lean on their serve and their legs are their greatest assets, the way they cover the court, uh, their consistency in another sense. And, you know, that obviously has a shelf life. We know that. Um, but what happened for Ferrer is like it, the, the decline wasn't slow. You know, it was sudden. And I think it was because he reached a point where he peaked. Um, I think it was about 32 years old. Uh, the year was 20, uh, 2015. And we went 55 and 16. He won five titles that year. Huge year for him. It felt like that last push. And I don't think he could do it anymore physically after that. Uh, I think the training sessions got shorter. I think he kind of hinted as much. Um, as much when you're relying on your legs and your fitness, um, sometimes it just comes crashing down somewhat abruptly. And yeah, I'm definitely worried about that with Schwartzman, especially because the serve. I mean, I Not think I, yeah, I looked at the numbers a couple weeks ago and I think my conclusion was this is easily the worst serve in the top 50. Like it, there's some distance there that this is the worst serve in the top 50. Yeah, I think Yoshihito Nishioka hits his spots better. Like, I think there's a little bit more. We're going through the worst serves in the top 50. Welcome back, <laughs> folks. We're diving in. Um, no, look, 69.7 is the top line number I have for Schwartzman. Not to invoke the Yiddish here, but that's Nishkeet. It's not very good for Diego. And that number amongst top 50 players, you guessed it, ranks 50th amongst the group. I mean, for his career, Schwartzman, 72.4% hold percentage. And the average top 50 player this year was at 825 So even at his, you know, the best days, Schwartzman's still about 10%, 8 to 10% worse than your average top 50 player. Now, the flip side is he's always a top five returner. His average break percentage for his career is 32.2%. I would imagine... I think Nadal is like 32-4. I think Djokovic is like 32-8-ish. But Schwartzman's got to be top five by break percentage in ATP Tour history. Like, especially if you wait for level of competition, Schwartzman is and always will be a generational returner. The problem is, has the trade-off or the mathematics of, sure, you break 30% of the time, but you also now get broken 30% of the time. And, like, the trade-off on the margins has just shifted towards the wrong balance. And to your point, because that second serve and first serve can be such a liability, Schwartzman needs to have his feet under him in his uh, to track down that first ball, to retain neutrality in the point. And every year, Diego Schwartzman is another year over 30. That just becomes harder and harder to accomplish. And the problem is, again, the structural things that went awry for Schwartzman this year, like I just worry they might be gone forever. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to do what he did in 2020 where he yeah. was a top eight player in the world without a serve. Yeah. Um, it's so hard. And I, I don't mean like difficult, you know, in terms of skill. I mean emotionally, physically, like 
how much suffering that requires. Uh, I mean, it's something, it's why we admire our Ferrers and Schwartzmans so much, but here's the thing. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm actually doing something that sometimes I don't like when people do, which is group those two players together. Ferrer's forehand was bigger. His serve was bigger. Like the weapons were more so there. Uh, was David Ferrer a, a heavyweight? Was he blowing people off the court? No, but the weapons were more so there than Diego, who, I mean, in order to win, just literally has to win neutral baseline rally at a clip of uh, rallies, I should say, at a, you know, a clip around 60% against the best players in the world. It's crazy hard. It just is. No, I am. Um... By the way, speaking of Ferrer, since you brought him up a couple times, I David Kane got mad at me because I called Casperud. I was like, if he's David Ferrer 1.25, isn't that like a really good scenario for him? And David was like, don't you ever compare. You know, I don't know. I'm not going to do a David impression. Um, but is that mean? Like, I don't think it's mean to call someone David Ferrer 1.25. No, it's not mean. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the trajectory of Rude is super positive but like if he flatlines right now with where he's at in his game like that's likely the career that we'll see which is an amazing career yeah we've done the peak conversation for rude this season off mic i also did it as part of our atp peaks conversation so we don't have to do that again here but no for schwartzman i mean again the real thing and i keep alluding to this generational shift you're just like Again, if I'm, I can name eight players or even ten players really quickly that I'll take over Diego Schwartzman heading into 2023, and you just worry that space at the top of the game for him. Like I, I'm just not sure it exists anymore. You know, another guy who I would put in that category, and again, not to typecast generations, but just to knock out a couple of names at once. And this gets to the disappointments, like. Not, not to badger on. Again, sometimes I don't like being glass half empty, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, are we now at a point where the lost generation, Dimitrov, Nishikori, Rayanich, Gofan, all those guys, like with all due respect, I know injuries have been a big part of it, but they're kind of just lost. Like I just think the window is now closed for those players. Like I asked David Kane this, do you think Grigor Dimitrov reaches another significant semifinal in his career, 1,000 level or higher? I don't know that I'd wager yes on that equation or like, again, Gofen being a, a top 12 player again, Schwartzman in this category as well. It's really Carreño Busta and like that's kind of it from that lost generation. <laughs> He's sort of the guy now, which is crazy to say out loud, but like I think Dimitrov is a disappointment. Like I just – I. I'm disappointed that I think it's finally time to close the lost gen book. Where are you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, a lot of them are completely out of the picture because of health reasons, right? Raonic, uh, Nishikori has been a has had a, a nightmare time trying to stay healthy. I, I know he's still at it, unlike Raonic. Um, you know, you have um, you, you just said his name, um, Gofan. Yeah, yeah, Gofan has had issues staying healthy, so the health hasn't been good. I mean, my take on these guys has always been the same, which is. You know, they are not who people wanted them to be for or expected them to be for some reason, and they never were. And I just, uh, I don't like the narrative that Grigor Dimitrov's career was a disappointment. Uh, I, I think that he was incorrectly typecast as Mini Fetter, and like, it's just not his fault. Like, where, where's the weapon? 
Is the first serve massive? Is the forehand great? No, the bone no. Uh, the backhand, he has to slice. It's a great slice, but he pretty much has to slice it. He doesn't drive it that well. He's an incredible athlete, an amazing, amazing athlete with pretty technique. He, I, I get it. He swings a Wilson racket, wears a headband, Nike clothing, one-handed backhand. He was never Federer. It just, it was never there. So, and and guess what? I say the same thing about the OG next gen. Yeah, we want them to be Federer and Nadal, Djokovic. Why are they losing to these guys? What's wrong with them? It's another week. No, they are not them, because we had some general generational talents at the top of the sport. And by the way, Alcaraz clearly generational talent. We're about to have more, and not every generation has these guys. That is why it is generational. Um, in terms of though the direction of the generation you're talking about, the lost gen. Dimitrov's the only guy who seems to show us glimpses um, quite frequently of a top 20 level, I would say, conservatively. The rest of them know. And for Dimitrov, the inconsistency has become rather alarming because week in and week out, sometimes it it's really not there. It's been a while since he's put together, I would say, a really even... 10 months of tennis. Yeah, uh, really well said. You shouldn't judge every generation by the same standards. That said, you can also realistically look at the out, uh, you know, the forecast for the ATP tour over the next decade. And again, when we're doing Grand Slam contenders throughout the course of next year and moving forward, I just don't see a world where any of these lost gen guys are going to be anything sh better than a dark horse candidate to win an event, yeah. right? They're not going to be in the inner circle. But you're right. I agree with your sentiment, but I, I it's two different lines of thoughts. You can acknowledge no, that it is, it is. while not branding them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you sent me off on kind of— uh, No, it was a, great. I really liked it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a big thing of mine. Like, I, what do you think? Did Grigor Dimitrov, let's say his career, he has another year similar to this, and then he retires. Did Grigor Dimitrov fulfill his potential as a tennis player? Hmm. No, because he won a world tour finals and there was a window there. I always remember the Mackey match they played in five sets where I'm like, that was just such fun tennis. And I'm pretty sure Grigor made the semis of that Australian open. And you just felt like, all right, now maybe there's a window. And again, no one got boned by this like COVID hiatus stoppage probably more than this lost gen who were like finally maybe sort of hitting their stride with Dimitrov and Rayonich making a you know a slam final Nishikori was playing really good ball I think he made the quarterfinals of every slam it was either 2019 or 18 um but like we're not that far removed from that and then injuries hiatuses the rising of these two new generations like just took out any momentum Dimitrov would have had. And so for those reasons, I say, no, he didn't hit his potential. If you're asking, did he have a good career, though? The answer is obviously yes. Okay. So my viewpoint is that he was very injury prone. That really hurt his career throughout. I mean, there's a, a bunch of things, right shoulder issues, back issues, um, which definitely, I think, made it difficult for him to blossom as a player to, you know, his, his fullest abilities. Other than that, I'm not sure what he was really supposed to do. Um, in terms of, you know, again, the idea that like, there isn't 
you know, mentally, he seemed to compete pretty well. Yeah. Physically, he seemed to be in the best shape possible. Uh, technically, there wasn't, you know, that he kind of had an all-court game. There didn't seem to be something that he was completely ignoring. It, it's just, to me, from a tennis standpoint, like the, the first serve and the forehand, especially the forehand, it for some reason, he wasn't able to develop weapons that made things easy for him. Yeah. And with the backhand kind of always being a little bit vulnerable, the fact that he didn't have that big serve, big forehand was a really big problem. So I saw technical issues in his game uh, that really, I, I don't think there was a huge opportunity for him to fix. And that's why I, I a little bit, I fall on the side of Dimitrov had pretty much the career he was supposed to have. Fair. I, I mean, again, it's it's a fair argument to make. His biggest weapon was always his bone structure. Um, you know, the serve, the forehand, when he's confident in rhythm taking that ball early, it looks flawless. But you're right. It is yeah. not inherently an unequivocal, unobjective, you know, non-negotiable weapon in every match that he plays. For the record, Nishikori, here's a five-slam run he had starting 2018 Wimbledon. Quarters, semis, start of 2019 now quarters 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 third round of the 2019 u.s open but like that's a pretty nice five year of slam run for kane nishikori by the way trivia question for you his birthday's this month how old does kane nishikori turn Mm, 31 good guess i think you know i wouldn't have asked you if he wasn't younger than you think 33 like he's not old i mean how old do you think milos raonich is I mean, he seems like 36. <laughs> yeah, he's got – I mean, he's always been <laughs> an I, old I, man. I, I know they're not that far apart. Like, Ranich I'm well aware. Ranich turns 31 this month. So, yeah. like, he is still literally very young. Um, no, I just – again, I'm disappointed because I really thought they might have another push, and I don't think they do. Um, but with that said, we've done enough grouping of generations. We can go individual cases here, and we can go a little bit, I suppose, faster through the end. Any final thoughts on that loss, Jen? No, uh, good point about the COVID. Um, yeah. And, and Gafan was actually red hot. Tennis when, ball to the eye. Yeah, yeah, when he was coming back, right? Yeah. So he he actually looked for a second there that it was, oh, pandemic. Gafan actually uh, used it really well. Looks awesome. Uh, Cincinnati, U.S. Open. I remember, if I remember correctly, he was looking great. And then, yeah, tennis ball to the eye. Yeah, and so, again keep an eye on that gen hopefully they prove us wrong all right again we can rapid fire now through some of these names some obvious ones here for you riley opelka who just like we just didn't see that much on the court and again a lot of this is injury related but i remember through the first month and a half of this season with how good he was in australia and you know i think he won that houston title right on the clay as well or maybe it wasn't the houston no he did win the houston title makes the final of delray beach two wins dallas i thought this was the year where it all was going to come together for riley opelka and you know you look for riley overall in 2022 21 and 15 overall in the season now he played a grand total of six matches after Roland Garros. So again, a lot of it's injury related. But like, if I ask you, Riley Opelka, tennis player, human being, coming out of 2022, stock up, stock down, how do you think it's worth having the conversation? I feel like the general perception, and some of this is just the social media personality, which we don't have to diagnose here, but like, I feel like the perception is stocked down on Riley. Yeah, I mean, 
I think he was in the conversation, at least for me, he was in challenging Taylor Fritz for that top American spot coming into the season. I mean, this is a guy who made a Masters 1000 semifinal um, and also uh, uh, in, in Rome and in Canada. So he made two. So uh, there was a lot there. But what I wanted to see was that he was mentally engaged throughout the calendar and that he was going to, you know, want it every time he stepped onto the court. And he's one of those guys where, you know, I can't judge him harshly until he starts judging himself harshly. Like, how bad does he want this? Uh, He's one of those players who I ask that about um, because he goes on these streaks and has some matches where he doesn't look focused. Uh, But in this case, you know, he hurt his hip. So, I mean, the key is that he's going to come back from this injury that my understanding is that it's a pretty bad injury and, and hopefully can hit the ground running from a health perspective. My big issue last three years, you mentioned the sometimes good, sometimes bad. He's 24 and 23 in first matches of events since the start of 2020. You got to be better than that. Like yeah. you are with your serve, you shouldn't lose that many first round matches if you're Riley Opelka. And that's why it's a disappointment. And again, gets back to that second category of disappointing where you had some momentum, you just weren't able to capitalize it. Obviously, again, injuries played a big factor. But also, you know what's disappointing? Discouraging people to vote. You know what's really good, Gil? Voting. All the time. You know, I'm pro voting. Yeah. Hot take. Why? People don't talk enough about your pro voting stance, Gil. I don't think that's in your, it's not on the resume, right? Like, you know how in the bottom of a resume you put fun facts, like fun fact about Gil Gross, pro voting. Uh, I think that that belongs on there. Yeah. I'm firmly in that camp. Yeah, you voted, what, like, the voting you voted six times on November 5th or whatever. <laughs> you were so encouraged. Uh, you you know, you voted as many times as you could. By the way, you brought up Garbine Muguruza earlier. I compared her season to the fifth Pirates of the Caribbean movie where it was just like, why are we doing this? Like, this is just a mistake. Um, is that fair? Yeah, except she's going to finish in the top five next year if yeah, she her career the- is any indication. With how we know with the rankings, she might still be in the top five this year. Who knows? Like she's, It feels like she lingered all year long. But all right, the quick one, I said we'd get back to it. Karatsev, do you have any additional analysis to throw in here? Yeah, I mean, I, I was asked, because um, I've been doing some award podcasts on you know my ATP disappointment, um, and let's see if you get to the other name, but it was uh, Karatsev and... Um, Hugo Umbert? Yes, yeah, I, you know what the spoiler was? Is we did the Benoit Pair Biggest Flops of the Year Award, and I believe you brought him up then. Oh, yes, you're right. See, you I cheated. do listen when you talk. I do yeah, listen. That's <laughs> impressive. Yeah, that's all I remember. If you ask me what you say at sushi, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so like the reason why Karatsev was a complete non-factor uh, is because the unforced errors were astronomical. Like you don't, you know, there are certain players who uh, it it takes a certain amount. It takes a certain level to beat them. Um, Like let's say a Jordan Thompson, right? Jordan Thompson might not be a top 30 player. In fact, he's not, Um, (laughs) but he's going to make a lot of balls and you better come up with some plays. You better do some good things or he'll beat you. Karatsev, there were literally a lot of matches where it just didn't take anything to beat him. He completely self-destructed, beat himself. uh, And he has this game that is so incredibly aggressive that, you know, unfortunately, 
you do understand why a player like that might go so dark because the way he takes the ball as early as he takes the ball as close to the lines as he plays as big as he hits there's not a lot of margin there and it just went off the rails here and i think you know you in order to play that style there needs to be a supreme level of confidence but i'm confused frankly i'm confused about who aslan karatsev is as a player i have no idea i don't get it do you yeah. No, I, I, you said it perfectly. Like, again, talk about confounding. There are days when he's hitting the forehand early on the rise, down the line. The game does look technically so sound. He's a good volleyer, good action on his serve. The kick serve indicative of his live shoulder. And yet there are days when things just go flying. Like, same for Ugo and Bear. There are just days when the power tennis is flawless. And then there were too many days this season where the unforced error count was immense. And so I think they're both in the same subsect of disappointment where it's like, figure out plan B. What's C? What's D? You're too talented to just let the unforced errors overwhelm any singular performance. All right. Now we get into the abstract. And again, we don't have to stat out too much on disappointment, but I do want your, I suppose, tangible feelings here on these final names. Yes or no, Gil Gross. Denis Shapovalov. Really good ending to the season. What was it? Lost like seven of nine after beating Rafa uh, in whichever clay court Masters event it was earlier this season. Now, he brought you back to life with his post-U.S. Open and honestly, U.S. Open run. That said, Chapo, disappointing year, yes or no? No. Uh, he made tangible improvements, and I'm really – I mean, he's literally top three players I'm most excited to watch next year. Dennis is in there. Yeah, he he's going to get his own solo pod, by the way, at some point this month. You're more than welcome to join me on it because I do think – I did one on Kesmenovich last December where I was like, this is the year. Like, it's just got to happen or I'm out. And it started with the first three months. And by the way, he could get a shout-out here for like he had momentum, kind of lost it. But mm. he was too – but not a disappointment. Disappointing in that he didn't end the year top 25 with how his first two months of the season went. I agree. Can't have Chapo on this list because he did just enough to rope you back in with his ending of the season. Monte Carlo star Davidovich Fokina. Disappointing or no? Same brand of had a moment, didn't quite capitalize. Yes, very disappointing. There are, <clears throat> I mean, look, talk about a guy who I feel like can just make some better decisions on the court and skyrocket. You like, love Davidovich Fokina. Yeah, I mean, but this is the kind of player where like, I could see better arguments. Let's say Davidovich Fikina um, has the career of Grigor Dimitrov. That's the kind of guy who I'm more ready to uh, to be disappointed in and to say, okay, here's someone who underachieved because somebody asked me, who are the players outside the top 15 who have the potential at some point in their careers to be a tier one guy? And I'm throwing in Davidovich Fakina. I see nothing technically besides the maybe the height and the fact that the serve isn't that good. You know, other than that, every tool, every raw physical tool is there for Davidovich Fakina to literally be a tier one guy. And he's not even sniffing that level right now because he has no shot selection. He can't construct a point. He doesn't position himself correctly on the court. He again, like he just doesn't play smart. Um, and that's kind of the biggest issue. Oh, and he's very, he's way too emotional and the emotion bleeds into the way he's playing all the time. 
So like all of these things that to me should be a little bit easier to control um, that he hasn't figured out how to control yet. And you look at his career stats, man, you wipe Monte Carlo off the map and (laughs) it's a different story. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're right. I mean, for the record, Ben Shelton better have been in your outside the top 15 who can be tier one sort of guy moving forward. Otherwise, contract terminated. Also part of your cracked records deal. (laughs) Um, Davidovich Chokina, amongst top 50 players, where does he rank and hold percentage? This is trivia for you. Probably pretty low. 46th amongst top 50. And... That just shouldn't be where he is. Like, he just has too many skills. It's another guy who still, he knows, I know exactly, you can do B, you can do C, you can do D, you can do E. When things break down and get funky, that's when Davidovich Fokina is at his best. But man, wins yourself some free points. Like, hit the big first serve, first forehand with margin to the right spot. Use your speed, your athleticism, your strength to move forward, your hands to cut off that first volley where you know what to go, where to go, what to do with that volley, which is half the battle. Like, his service games, he should not be holding 74.8% of the time. He should be holding closer to 80%. And that's low-hanging fruit because it's like he's a top 15 returner already, and that's with the sporadic shot selection that you alluded to. Yeah. I think him and Chapo are both on the list of like 2023. Can you pop or not? Like, here's your window because, again, the Drapers, not even Sinners and Alcaraz and Runa, but like the Drapers of the world are coming. The Nakashimas of the world are coming. Even space in tier number two is getting pretty crowded pretty quickly. And that's why I think you you made the argument beautifully for him. I would put him on the Chapo list. There's just too much athleticism there to not still be intrigued. Yeah, on the Chapo list, but Chapo, I think was you know, we we agree was not a disappointment. And was better, exactly. Had the last month of the season, ADF never had that. Yeah, he he showed Chapo showed us what we wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Davidovich Fakina did not. Very well said. All right, now we're really getting creative. Sebi Korda, again mm-hmm. salvaged by the last month. Did you want to see the breakthrough this year, or are you patient? Well, I'm patient, but hmm. Uh, that's that's a very tough one. I'm gonna say yes, disappointed. Um, I guess like I I want to see the, the the physical growth with him. Um, the the forehand is probably the most frustrating thing for me though. Um, the fact that he's having matches where he's he's losing. Uh, because of the forehand, because of the control on his forehand, which it just seems like technically a shot that's very sound. Uh, we know his timing is great. His natural ball striking ability is so good. Um, it it just kind of feels like uh, that forehand shouldn't be causing him as much problems as sometimes it does. I could be convinced, though. I'm a little bit on the fence. Yeah, no, on, this on is 
In spirit, we're recording Tuesday, December 6th in the spirit of the Georgia runoff. I'm lean, not disappointing, because he's still in the top 40 and still in position to do all the things you need to do to make the big jump. But any day that backhand isn't on center court is a crime against tennis. And so it is a slight disappointment. Also, the big thing I would turn to, he's holding 79.6% of the time. He's six foot six and he hits the ball perfectly. How are you not a top 15 server? And it's Getting really better. low hanging. No, exactly. And that's why I'm lean, not disappointing, because he had the last month of the season and all the things are getting better. But I'm st- that's why I'm lean Warnock, not lean Walker. I think things are getting better, not worse. His See, serve kind of cracks in that me endorsement up. There? Yes, yes. <laughs> Corda's serve kind of cracks me up because, like, the technique. How's this take? Top 15, like, prettiest technique to look at? Yeah, he's a handsome man, too. So, like, you throw that in as well. It's just, like, it is a very easy game to watch. Oh, yeah. So we have, like, six foot six, great technique on the serve. It's like, can you hit it, guy? Like, just <laughs> hit it. Go. <laughs> like. Exactly. It's like... Uh, who was it? Okay, I've done this too much this week, but there's a su- there's an episode of Justice League, the cartoon. Shout out where it's the last episode, Justice League Unlimited, season two, no, season three, I want to say. Last episode, Superman versus Darkseid, final fight. Superman's like, look, I like most of the time I don't go my hardest because I'm afraid if I go my hardest, I'm gonna break this planet. Like, sometimes I think about that for Sebi Corda, where he's like, if I go my hardest, though, I might not have a shoulder tomorrow because my body's still a little bit fragile. And, like, again, I think as he grows into it, things will continue to get better. That's why I'm lean, not disappointing. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think part of the serve might be mindset. Like, maybe there's more MPH in there that he's just not uh, actually kind of taking enough risk to tap into like we have seen that with servers where it's like hey you can serve harder like please do it and do it in a match um but i actually think you're on to something and probably correct that at this stage it's probably more physical and like man literally needs to get in the gym didn't you didn't you talk to him and he gave you an answer about how he hasn't been lifting yeah just started lifting this year that you know what helps the serve lifting um (laughs) he's like hey jj all that weight you lost jj wolf he's like i'll take it Let's just trade. I'll give you some length. You give me some muscle. We all win. Uh, Again, abstract here, Brooksby. Disappointing or no? Hmm. Yes, yes, disappointing. Because he beat Djokovic in a set 6-1. And if you do that, it's like, are you the best player in the world? And he wasn't this year. Right. I mean, look, in in all honesty, I was way off on him um, in terms of what I thought he'd do this year. Like I was expecting much bigger things because I thought what we were seeing in 2021 uh, was completely legitimate. And, you know, while a lot of people were like, what the heck's going on here? He has no weapons. Why is he beating everybody? I'm just like, hey, like he's Andy Murraying right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's a thing. You can do it. But I, I guess... It's probably it's probably a little bit too extreme. Like he needs to reach a happy medium where he does have some more weaponry, um, you know, if if he can develop that. Just because again, I think there might be something to, something to be said for just how physically and mentally taxing it is to play that style. And uh it just felt like that that never miss quality about him just kind of dissipated. And, you know, 
that needs to be front and center if he's going to have success. Yeah, I think that's really well said. You know, again, we talked about the scouting being out on Medvedev. I do think some of the scouting was out on Brooksby as well. The understanding of the need to be patient. The fact that, look, if you wait long enough, you will start to learn the patterns that Jensen likes. And you will start to understand, okay, this is my opportunity. It's not ball number five. It's coming on ball number seven. And don't get into his game. Don't start, you know, reacting to some of the silly slices that land in a weird position and generate an unforced error. Just stay the course against Brooksby. I think players did a lot better job of doing that this year. Um, he's still too young to formally be a disappointing. And again, even in what felt like a disappointing season because he didn't have the stellar results that he had in 2021, he still ends the season top 50. And ultimately, that's where you need to be. Yeah, and, and great point there because as much as us viewers sure. were like, oh my God, this guy <laughs> is crazy. What is what is he doing? Uh, it's, it's amazing. And how is he winning? As much as we were like that, his opponents were most certainly the same. Yeah. It was like, it was a very weird thing uh, in the summer of 2021 the the style of tennis that he brought to the court if you're not prepared for that you might be a little bit rattled by it um and and you're so right now everybody comes into a jensen brooksby match knowing um basically what they need to do and what kind of challenges he's going to present which are rather unique challenges like i would say very few players maybe like a gilles simone did a similar thing where it's like all right, like, you're in it for the long haul, buddy. Like, you better be ready. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a really good comp for him moving forward. And by the way, if that's what he ends up as, a player who does make an appearance in the top 10, I think that's a massive win for Jensen Brooksby in his career. So, again, that's why I'm not disappointed. It's still so young. And it's like, he didn't fail. Like, did he get an A in his second and his, his first full year of ATP tour play? Did he get an A or an A plus? No. Was it closer? To, was it a C though or a D? I don't think so either. It was in the B to B minus range, which again, the key thing is he didn't fall out of the conversation. He's yep. still in position. And so that's why I, I, again, lean Warnock as it comes to Jensen Brooksby, uh, which we're just using as the positive connotation, folks, because come on, go watch Herschel <laughs> Walker campaign rally and tell me that man should be a U.S. senator. All right. Again, last three, all. A little bit more specific. I think this is low-hanging fruit, but the Belinda Bencic of the 2022 ATP season, Hubi Hurkacz, really good at anything that wasn't a slam. Um, and I just think it's disappointing because it's like, boy, does it, again, Djokovic played two slam main draws. Rafa was a non-factor, dare I say, at two of the slams. And we didn't get a single Hubi quarterfinal, semifinal run. Like, just because the window was so open for him this year, I do think... Despite it being a better year, it's a disappointment worth mentioning. And it's getting weird. Yeah. Because it's not like he's in like an Alexander Zverev situation where I think when Zverev was, you know, about 20 years old, maybe 20, yeah, like 19, 20, 21, uh, there started to become a lot of noise around him about performing better at the majors. Like there was a lot of attention, media attention on Zverev's performance at the majors. I feel like it hasn't really been to that level with Hercotch. Like he flies under the radar a little bit, but you couldn't tell that from watching him at majors. He looks completely overcome 
uh, by by the pressure at times. And uh, yeah, I mean, his performance at Masters 1000s on hard courts have been absolutely elite and have really buoyed him in a lot of ways. And, you know, the Australian Open, he's completely flummoxed by, uh, by Adrian Manorino, U.S. Open, very much outplayed by Ilya Ivashka. It's it's strange what's been happening with him. Yeah. No, I, I just again that Cam Nori semifinal at Wimbledon, I know this isn't how it works, but that should have been Hoobies. Like that was a spot that should have been his this year. You just feel like this yeah. was the window. No Berrettini, no Chilich. You win a grass court title in the lead up to Wimbledon and the early exit. It was just like that was the one, like, he was a top five contender, especially after Berrettini and Chilich go out with COVID, where it was like, hey, man, there's no Medvedev. Like, it's kind of just you here, Hubie. Like, you're the only one who, other than Djokovic, who's kind of done anything on a grass court. And, like, you just don't get windows like that very often. Yeah. Uh, Wimbledon, that was, uh, what, uh, he got into a fifth set tiebreak, right? Yeah, and he lost um, to maybe lost... Draper or something like that. No, so... he lost to a server. Vesley? Who'd who be lose to? I'll look this up, but go Oh, uh, D- uh, Davidovich Fakina. Oh, yeah, duh. That's who yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, right, and he was he almost staged a, a comeback from down two sets to love. Yeah, uh, yeah that was a match where uh, I just needed to refresh my memory, but I remember what my takeaway from the match was, which it is that— It was horrible. It, it was horrible. It was horrible because Davidovich Fakina had match points in the third set, yeah. lost them, sulked for the next two sets like totally was not in it for the next two sets and this is what i'm talking about with davidovich fakina it's like let's go fourth set buddy yeah come on on. um and then in the fifth set it got tight and you know the shot on the court that broke down was the the hubie forehand Mm -hmm. and that's the biggest thing look that's a big problem for him like he needs to get more confident on the forehand in big pressure spots um especially being a well I'm not going to call him an offensive player because in a lot of ways he's not. Um, he, you know, moves well, good, you know, counter punching abilities, but obviously a big server. It'd be great if he could follow up that big serve with big forehands reliably. You know, that would be the ideal for him. And then he'll make that next step. But I, I don't know what to make of the fact that he's been so much better in Masters 1000s events than uh, he has in, in majors. It's definitely perplexing, and again, one of the storylines, I think, to watch as we look towards the 2023 season. All right, do you have a a Dom Stricker take? Because he's in my last two. I thought Stricker, after winning back-to-back finals, lost Nishioka in Columbus, wins the Cleveland Challenger. You saw the weapons at the next-gen finals. I'm just all in on the Stricker bandwagon. I thought this, like, I thought... Runa was going to be a top 50 player at the end of the year, but that Stricker might steal his thunder because, oh, God, I love watching Dom Stricker strike a tennis ball. That didn't happen. I mean, he's right on the precipice of top 100. He's actually where Runa was last year heading into this season Heading for Stricker that's heading into next year. But I thought it would happen a little sooner. I just wanted to throw that out there. Here's the last one for you that just gets a little abstract. Well, yeah, and, I have a stricter take. Oh, I like it. Share it with me. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a classic guy. We see this all the time. Uh, a younger player, it takes a little bit for them to start to realize that they need to take care of their body like a professional athlete does, which you know I think takes a lot of time and effort and commitment. Uh, I think it probably is the thing that 
fans don't see that sucks the most about being a pro tennis player like once you're done with the match like you ready to spend two hours on recovery because <laughs> that's what it is like two hours of your time after the match where you're like getting a massage getting a nice bath stretching it's like yeah that it's not fun um i think that stricker is probably following that timeline look i'm not with him every day but to me that's been my impression is that he has the tennis skills but there needs to be you know something will click where he's like and it did for tiafo he's talked about this where it's like oh let me do these hard things that suck uh because i need to be a professional here and do these things yeah very well said all right the last one for you because i had to get funky to end you mentioned earlier daniel medvedev seeing a seven next to his name how weird that is well another one of those instances and this is the abstract case Yannick Sinner ends the year ranked 15. Now, yeah. I've said it before. I think if he wins the match point against Alcaraz these past three months, we're saying the same things about Sinner we've said about Alcaraz. You just changed the name because Yannick Sinner, I think, was going to go on to win that U.S. Open. Sinner 2-8 and eight in the 10 quarterfinals he made this year. Just really the big final uh, title, obviously, in Umag over Alcaraz. It wasn't a disappointing season and yet, like, I see the 15 next to his name, and I'm like, well, something something happened. I know. It's so – talk about weird. It's I mean, weird. It, it's weird. It's, it's mathematics, right? Yeah. Like, something about the ranking system. So then the biggest disappointment <laughs> isn't Sinner. It's math. You're right. Yeah. yeah, big disappointment in math. Exactly. Like, something about the ranking system didn't like Sinner's season. Like <laughs> – yeah. They just didn't appreciate this Fifth constant. Fifth ELO ratings. It's like, so it's just you, ranking system. What up? Exactly. It's like the rankings clearly hate making a quarterfinal every week and losing. Uh, in all seriousness, the it's strangest It's anti-ginger. Things, before you get serious, the rankings are <laughs> anti-ginger is what we're losing. Okay, get serious. Let's go with that. Anti-Parmigiano-Reggiano. <laughs> um, like... The weird, the so the weirdest thing about Sinner is you could say you could almost say the issue that we're seeing is that he can't beat the elite. He's not playing well against the top guns. He's not beating enough top eight opponents. Let's say, and then you have the Alcaraz thing where he's played Alcaraz. You know, he played Alcaraz three times this year, beat him twice, and had match point the third time. Uh, but you look past that. And, you know, his head-to-heads with, with Djokovic, who, is, who he was up two sets to love against. Um, against Djokovic, against Nadal, against Medvedev, against Tsitsipas, they're not good. So that, you know, it does seem like there is kind of a hump that he needs to get over in terms of maybe varying his game a little bit more, adding kind of that, that special sauce where he's making those guys feel uncomfortable because right now he just, he doesn't seem to be making those guys feel all that uncomfortable. The weapons continue to develop, particularly the first serve. I do think that all of the tinkering he's done on the serve, it's going to pay off in the future. But in 2022, it probably held him back. Like there were some second serve issues, especially at that US Open. Uh, I think a solid, you know, a little bit better on the second serve and he beats Alcaraz in that match. Um, so, but ultimately, like, no, I don't think it was disappointing. I saw what you saw, a lot of wins, a consistent winner, a great win percentage, 
good toughness, improvements in the mental game, competing so well, clutchness, really great clutchness this year. A lot of positives. Yeah, this is what I'm learning. Gil Gross, pro-voting, anti-math. These are the takeaways we learned from today's podcast. No, that was the perfect synopsis of Sinner. Uh, so I have nothing left to add. Those are my disappointments for the 2022 season, Gil Gross. Any final thoughts from you on this topic? Well, those weren't your disappointments. Those were your, we should talk about if they were disappointments on the pod. <laughs> That's true. Do you want to talk about my personal disappointments here this year? Should we get into those <laughs> as well? Um, where I failed uh, intrinsically? No, I, uh, yeah, it's always funny. So David Kane came on the peak show, which you will all hear again tomorrow and goes, oh, so you didn't actually mean peak. Like, you meant, like, will this player ever be this good again, peak? Not like, oh, they had a great season in 2022. And I was like, yeah, like, duh, David, didn't you get that memo? And he was like, no. And I was like, oh, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and it was a great <laughs> show. Um, but, no, I think – I don't think I strayed too far from our opening definition of disappointment. No, I'm not saying you did. I'm just saying, like, you were like, those are my disappointments. And it's like, well, no. Yeah. Some of them we argued were not disappointed in. It's true. I, I mean, look, it's because I'm so rose. Like, how am I going to get – it's tennis. So I'm not disappointed. You all just – like, Schwartzman's the only genuine one where he probably comes out of it like, wow. I, and Karatsev, Umber, where it's like, wow. I, they're the only definitive, my season sucked. Like, outside of – like, relative to their expectations coming into the year. Outside yeah. of those three, I don't think there are that – there's no Muguruza on the men's side other than Karatsev, which isn't equivalent. Yeah. I, well, I would – look, I, I do feel strongly that Tsitsipas, despite the statistics, if you just watched, it was hard not to be disappointing, uh, yeah. disappointed. And by the way, in my discussion with Tsitsipas, I didn't even mention what happened at the ATP finals. I did not yeah. mention Apostolo Tsitsipas and the family dynamic getting in the way of him winning that match. That's the kind of thing. You Speaking look at tennis abstract – Shout out to you. Go on. You look at tennis abstract, and you can't discern that Tsitsipas had a disappointing season. You just can't. Yeah, that's you the you have to watch the matches, and then then you see where it was disappointing. Did you talk to Ryan Rosillo recently? You were in Manhattan Beach. I like, watch matches. Man, there it is. There yes. it is. Okay, full circle. I love it. Well, as always, Gil Gross, it is a pleasure to, to chat with you about all things happening in the tennis world. I know you're doing plenty of off-season content over on your shows as well. What can we expect here this month? I don't know. <laughs> I no saw the going on. I saw you suited up for the award show. Well done by you. Thank you. Yeah, yes, the Monday Match Analysis Awards. Please, um, I spent spend more time on that episode than I do any other episode uh, throughout the year. Unless maybe you want to like count the time of watching like a five set match, uh, yeah. you know, at a major. But other than that, yeah, I put a lot of effort into that one. So let me um, just say this minute 77 listeners of this podcast. If you make it to the Monday match analysis award show, please in the comments, put hashtag Gruskin sent me here because <laughs> I just want Gil overwhelmed, you know, by those sorts of messages. Dude, here's the thing. Awards might be the most like competitive area of this pod tennis podcast space. I mean, yeah. I kind of feel bad for our audiences because like they're Saturated. bombarded. Yeah. We generally do different things. Like we, and I'm not talking about me and you, Grusk. I'm talking about like all the various shows that you can listen to. There's actually not that much redundancy. I pretty much think that a lot of us are in our own lanes. When it comes to like, we all do the same thing here at the same time. 
And that's why I did mine before Thanksgiving. Because it's not <laughs> like, if you're first, you're first. And so, yeah, it, it's like, you're right. It's a pain in the derriere. And that's why I had to theme it Peaks and Valleys Week. Because I'm like, we got to do something else here. Otherwise, every, you know, again, <laughs> minute 78, sneak it in. F*** the tennis podcast. I'm like, every one of their tweets, I'm just like, we just did a full show on that. Like, and you guys are just going to like simpl- simplify it to a tweet. Like, talk about the simplification of content and not trusting your viewers and listeners and people to be smarter than just a simple freaking tweet. Um, anyways, I don't hold grudges here, Gil, ever, <laughs> as you know. Um, with all that said, Monday Match Analysis, three a tennis show can hear them all part of the tennis channel podcast network part of our cracked rackets network as well now a shout out to you gil for taking the time to join us shout out as always to our super producer daniel westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of the content possible peaks and valleys week concludes tomorrow david kane atp peaks be on the lookout for that show it's been a very fun week last word goes to you gil any final thoughts Thank you very much, um, and I hope to be on next year for Peaks and Valleys Week. Uh, yeah, you better you better trademark that. What's bigger, Sharknado Two or Peaks and Valleys Week Two? Some scholars are asking, what's going to get the bigger <laughs> numbers bump? Uh, well, you know, Shaq, can we get him to appear on Peaks yeah. and Valleys Week Two? But with that said, for the fantastic Gillen Gross, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Gill, what do we tell the people? Something that often comes up. In a Diego Schwartzman match, that's the break. I love it. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend.